from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations within our regular podcast episodes in order to give you a better picture of how the COVID-19 virus is impacting all parts of the alcohol beverage business. It'll also help provide a bit of hope and a path forward for all of us. Today, I'm talking with Eric Bernheim, a partner at Halloran Sage Law Firm. Eric, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Adam. I'm excited to be here. So, Eric, I mean, I'm, I was really uh, excited to have you on because I think there's been a lot of confusion um, among our industry in terms of, you know, bar and restaurant owners' legal rights, um, you know, what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing in this time. No one knows when we're going to reopen, how we're going to reopen, uh, what that means for bottom line, how many businesses are going to come back, all that crazy stuff, which is basically the conversations we've been having um, for the last two months on these uh, COVID conversations. And what's really great about having you on here is you are an expert in real estate law um, and work with a lot of restaurant and bar clients as well as represent some landlords. So I'm interested to sort of, you know, basically use you as our expert for the next 10 to 15 minutes to really talk to the industry um, and explain to them sort of what they should be thinking about legally and how we all move forward together. Because I think is the the conversation, you know, that we've been having over the last two months is like, if we can't figure out how to collectively move forward, this will, this will fall out, right? If one side doesn't come to the negotiating table and the other does or vice versa, we're going to have big issues in terms of how many places are actually able to reopen uh, in the future when we finally get to the place where we can. So super excited, like I said, to chat. Uh, so I just like to start, you know, in the beginning with sort of a general question, which is if you are a restaurant or bar owner right now, and you are dealing with a space that you are not doing anything out of, right? So you haven't started running a delivery business. You haven't, you've, you've gone home and you've completely socially distanced. What should you be thinking about right now in terms of the lease you hold and what your rights are as that um, leaseholder? Sure. Well, I think first and foremost, communication is key with your landlord. Both parties should really look at the landlord-tenant relationship as somewhat of a partnership. And in order for it to thrive, both businesses need to be operating and performing under their primary uh, business models, right? So the restaurant needs to be operating and the, and the landlord needs to be receiving their rent because the restaurant's producing revenue so that they can actually pay their rent. If you've completely shut down, then you really need to reach out to your landlord and have a conversation with them to determine how they can work with you. Try to come up with uh, uh, a proposal that you really share the pain, obviously, we can't just say as a tenant that we're not going to pay our rent to the landlord. That puts them in a really bad position without um, uh, taking into account their business and their vendors, their obligations to their lenders and, and everybody else. We have to work together to try to come up with a reasonable solution that both parties can live with. And in this time, I don't think the solution that's reached anybody's going to love because it's a very difficult time, but certainly communication is key. Some landlords have more flexibility than others, but unless you start that conversation, you're never going to get to a point where both parties are going to be able to survive this. And that's really the goal. We want both parties to survive the, the this pandemic and, and get through it so that the businesses can thrive in the future like they did before this. Interesting. So look, no one likes having money conversations. Right. And I think one of the biggest fears we've heard from people in the industry is like, I had my broker, we negotiated the lease, I signed it, I locked into 10 years or however, five years, 20 years, et cetera. 
And now I pay my rent on time and that's it. And I'm really nervous about having this conversation because I don't really know how to ask for a rent reduction. Like, how do I go to the landlord and say, you know, look, here's the deal. I'm obviously not open. The government's asking me not to be open. You know, can you please give me a rent reduction? And how do I respond to the landlord if the landlord says no? Sure. Now, more than ever, no tenant should be nervous about calling the landlord to tell them that they're not doing as well business-wise and they need to talk about rent reduction. Every landlord's getting that call. Every tenant is making that call, no matter what industry you're in. The restaurant industry is getting hit harder than any other industry, I think, out there. So certainly landlords are expecting their restaurant tenants to call them and try to work out some sort of a, a rent concession. I would suggest crunching some numbers before you call and having some proposals in mind. You could certainly just ask the landlord what you, what they're willing to do, but then there's other things that you should have in your back pocket to keep the conversation going. Obviously, the best thing that can happen is you ask the landlord if they'll just abate your rent, defer your rent, uh, essentially forgive it until you're back up and running without any government uh, regulations impacting your operations. Most landlords aren't going to go for that, though. So in your back pocket, you should have some reasonable proposals. I've seen a lot of my clients have negotiated deals with their landlords where we're paying the triple nets only. So really just the carrying costs for the landlord. It, um, it really reduces the rent. One of my clients, their rent went from $30,000 a month to $3,000 a month, paying their proportionate share of the uh, carrying costs of the property, that, meaning their proportionate share of the mortgage, insurance, taxes, and essential operating costs such as trash removal and such. Other tenants have proposed that there's a large security deposit being held by the landlord, that the landlord use that to apply towards their current rent until they get back out of this. And the negotiation there can turn into, do you need to pay that security deposit back when things get a little bit better? Obviously, you want the landlord to feel a little bit of pain too. You don't want the landlord to be made whole through this process when everybody else is hurting. So I think the triple net option is great. And what we've done in the, uh, in the past with some of my other clients is we've proposed that the term be extended for however long we're just paying our triple nets. So if it turns out that we're paying our triple nets only for four months, at the end of the term, we've added four months to the, to the lease. So although the landlord has lost his profits for four months, he's still getting the same amount of rent that he anticipated when he signed the lease. And the tenant's still getting the same amount of term for operational purposes that they negotiated when they signed the lease. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense. So, okay, let's say you go to the landlord. Landlord says they're not going to allow a lease reduction. Uh, I mean, sorry, a rent reduction. What um, sort of rights might you have in your lease or what clauses could you potentially invoke to say, hey, I'm literally being told by the government not to be in operation or I'm being told by the government that all I can do is delivery service, et cetera. So I'm not actually being able to pay you market rent right now. I'm at 25% capacity if we reopen or I'm only making 20% of my normal you know, profit. How, it, are there clauses that people could 
go to in their lease that they could say, hey, here's this clause that should be in every standard lease that, you know, I would like to invoke? Absolutely. So there's the force majeure provision, which is essentially if there is an act of God that prevents you from complying with the terms of your lease, that it's essentially extended until that act of God goes away. Now, unfortunately, those provisions normally carve out the obligation to pay rent and additional rent. So force majeure may be helpful depending on the language in the lease, but it may not be. And most of the time, it's probably not. Another provision that you can look at is the condemnation provision. So it's important to note that we're not shut down. The restaurants are not shut down because of the virus, per se. They're shut down because the government has said you said you can no longer operate. So that could be essentially a temporary public taking of your right to use the premises. In most provisions in the lease that uh, address condemnation also also provide for a renovation based on how much of your property you can use and how much has been taken by the government. And that's an important provision going forward, too, because as they start relaxing these social distancing, distancing guidelines and, um, and allow restaurants to reopen, they're only going to allow them to reopen, you know, say 25% outdoor dining only, then 50% and such. So you can adjust how much of your rent is being abated based upon how much uh, you're able to operate as usual. For example, in Connecticut, on May 20th, restaurants are going to be allowed to open outdoor service only. We're currently working on an executive order for the governor to sign that will allow expansion of outdoor patios, uh, permitting for those at a a streamlined um, process to allow for for quick permitting and such that you can get more seats outside than you would otherwise normally be permitted. But if you're only, let's say the outdoor service is only 25% of what you're uh, entitled to under your lease, then under the condemnation provision, you have a good argument that your rent should be reduced by 75%. Another provision that you could look at is the environmental provision. You have to look at the language very closely in that, but I've seen leases where the environmental language says that a hazardous material is a contaminant that could could cause harm to a person. And certainly the COVID-19 virus is a contaminant that obviously can cause harm to a person. And most of those provisions state that if the tenant does not cause that hazardous material or that contaminant within the premises, then, then you can abate your rent again proportionately, similar to the condemnation provision. Another provision to look at is the quiet enjoyment and landlord covenants uh, provisions. <clears throat> the quiet enjoyment essentially says that the landlord will not interfere with your right to utilize the premises for the permitted use. And sometimes there's also provisions in the lease that the landlord uh, represents and acknowledges that you, your permitted use is allowed under applicable law and governmental order. And that's not the case anymore. Interesting. So let's go back a little bit to, to one of the clauses you talked about. So um, in terms of hazardous material, et cetera. So you and I, when we did our, our pre-call before this interview, I talked a little bit about some of the questions I was getting from people in terms of, you know, what protection should the restaurants be taking once they reopen? So, you know, a lot of people have been asking in conversations I've been having with them, what do I do if I, if I am told I can open to 25 or 50% to protect myself in case, 
you know, I reopen and then I have a customer who comes back in seven days and says, I tested for COVID and the only place I think I went was your restaurant and I'm sure that I got it at your restaurant. You know, is there, are there, are there precautions or is that a silly, uh, you know, fear for restaurants to have at all? Well, certainly there's precautions that should be taken to ensure um, that your customers are less likely to, to, to get sick. Connecticut, again, they've released some rules that restaurants have to utilize when they open. I'm sure most states are going to provide guidelines and rules uh, that restaurant operators are going to have to implement as we start to reopen. And if you follow those, then I think you're in pretty good shape. I think from a practical standpoint, we can't have in the future, we're not going to, the courts aren't going to allow for a claim where somebody says they went to a restaurant and that's where they where, where they got sick. There would be so many lawsuits that come about because of that. And um, the, the courts would be inundated with these claims and you would never actually be able to prove that they contracted this at your restaurant. It's almost impossible. So I think the causation issue there from a litigation standpoint would be really difficult to prove. And, and I think it's probably less of a concern during this pandemic than, than people need to be aware of. I think they should focus on following the rules and guidelines and, and best practices to ensure that their restaurants are as clean as possible and maintain the social distancing uh, guidelines that are going to be provided by uh, each individual state and the, the local health departments. But I don't believe that they should be too concerned about a lawsuit because somebody says that this is the only place I went and it's where I contracted it because I just think that would be way too difficult to prove uh, in, in the courts and, and likely the legislation are going to prohibit that in the future. Right. So I have one last question for you and I, I really appreciate your time. This has been super interesting. Um, so one of the other questions that I've been getting, and again, this, this isn't 100% your area of expertise, I understand, um, but is sort of a lot of restaurants have said like one of the things that um, has helped them through this time is the loosening of laws that's allowed them to sell alcohol to go, wine to go, um, allow them to expand, like, as you said, thinking about expanding outdoor patios with permitting, et cetera. What should restaurants be, be doing right now to sort of lobby lawmakers to, to make those laws either more permanent or at least extended through however long this recovery takes? Who should they be talking to? Um, how do they get the, the word out that that would really be helpful to them in the future? They should certainly be reaching out to their local organizations, you know, the restaurant associations, their, their attorneys could also point them to the, to the right people to call their local legislatures, state, uh, state congressmen and, and senators, uh, local representatives. Um, obviously, the, the politicians are, are trying to make the recovery as quick as possible. So they certainly are trying to work. I know our local, one of our local zoning boards is waiting for the governor's executive order. And this is a town where zoning is extremely difficult. And at their uh, meeting the other night, they said, we want people to utilize as much of the parking areas as possible for their outdoor patios. We want people to get back out. We want the restaurants to start operating because the restaurants really drive foot traffic to all of the downtown areas um, in, in, in our communities. And they want to help. So I think the restaurants have that going for them. Everybody realizes that this is a problem and they need help. 
and I think they're going to work proactively to, to make this as seamless as possible. But certainly talking to your local politicians, your attorneys, your your um, first selectmen or mayors and the such, getting, getting in front of anybody who can help streamline the permitting process is extremely important. That's really great advice. Well, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to to chat with me today to give uh, some perspective on you know, restaurant and bar owners' legal rights. I really appreciate it. I think a lot of our listeners probably appreciate it as well. Um, so thanks. If anyone had questions for you or wanted to reach out to you, how could they find you? They can find me on our webpage, hallorinsage.com, H-A-L-L-O-R-A-N-S-A-G-E.com. They can certainly find my contact information there and I'm happy to help anybody who needs some. Awesome. Eric, thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.